Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is May 26th, Thursday, and it's right before the holiday weekend. Traditionally, the start of the summer movie season. Obviously, these days, the summer movie season starts at the beginning of May. We've already had Doctor Strange do about 800 million worldwide. It's on its pace to probably not a billion, but getting close. But because this is the traditional start of the blockbuster season, I wanted to get a blockbuster expert in here, Scott Mendelson of Forbes.com, to give us some predictions about the summer. He and I are going to go back and forth on what we call the confidence scale, how confident we are that each of these movies is going to deliver what it's supposed to this summer movie season, from Jurassic World to Elvis to a new Minions movie and more. We are going to go back and forth on the summer blockbuster season. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Scott Mendelson. Scott is the staff writer at Forbes.com who covers box office, and he is a take-no-prisoners box office reporter, not afraid to call out the flops. Uh, I enjoy your coverage. And when we decided to do the box office, the summer box office confidence scale there was only one person to call had to be you because you will tell us exactly what's going to flop what's going to do well and everything in between so let's get right into it we're going to go by the calendar here we're going to go movies and we're you and i are going to talk about how confident we are that these are going to exceed or not exceed the expectations for them so got to start this weekend with top gun top gun maverick um the expectation is that it'll open about 100 million domestic maybe double that worldwide i mean at this point, it's got to exceed, right? Uh, ideally. My only caveat is, and I could be wrong on this, is that I don't know if kids give a shit. You know, my kids certainly don't. And I don't, we don't know yet for sure whether online anticipation and obsession and uh, fandom is going to translate to real world interest because it's a huge difference between, you know, a bunch of film critics and pundits about my age, about your age, that grew up with Tom Cruise's 80s and 90s pictures going, oh, wow, Top Gun 2, that's so exciting, versus people that, you know, regular audiences that aren't movie nerds and maybe don't care as much. Now, the reviews are good, better than I would have expected, and frankly, better than I think they would have been if the movie had opened in 2020 just as a normal summer movie, um, because people are starved, or critics especially are starved for this kind of spectacle. So, yeah, I do think it's going to do about, you know, 
80 to 110 over four days, depending on the curve. Uh, if it does 180 to 200 worldwide, that's terrific. Memorial Day weekend releases tend to be comparatively front-loaded. And by that, I mean it could do anywhere from 2 to 2.5 the four-day total, which would still be fantastic for a non-Mission Impossible Tom Cruise picture. It'll definitely be his biggest. I also think that this movie, because it has the the dad energy attached to it, older people tend to come late to movies, so it'll probably play throughout the summer. Most Tom Cruise movies are very leggy. Yeah, and they don't have any competition for the first week in June. I mean, that's the big thing this yeah, summer. That's is nuts. that there, there are just fewer movies. There's about a third fewer wide studio releases than a normal summer, thanks to COVID. So, you know, while we may have a situation where these movies are battling covid hesitance still they're also not battling a huge blockbuster movie every weekend yes and i'm sure paramount wants to be in a position where kind of almost by default top gun maverick doesn't just become another big summer blockbuster but the definitive event movie for grown-ups for the entire summer and if that's the case then it plays forever and ever and I don't know the details. You might know more than I do. But is it get, is it really getting a 120-day window at this point? It is. Well, then there you go. I mean. That is the Tom Cruise window for yes. uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree. Um, does this movie get to what? 700? 800 worldwide? No China. Uh, no. I mean, and, and you know, again, I may be wrong. Because, again, I think it's going to do better than it would have done three years ago, two years ago, in normal circumstances. But few for thought. The biggest grossing non-Mission Impossible Tom Cruise movie is War of the Worlds, which did about a 600 in 2005. That was Steven Spielberg. That was an iconic story. Blah, 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 blah. If it gets anywhere near 450, that would me would be a best case scenario with or without COVID. 450 worldwide? Me, yes. That would be... A, Oh, I think it I think it blows past that. I think it gets to five, six, perhaps. And it could. But what I'm saying is, in terms of what to me would be an unmitigated success, would okay. be 450 for a wow. non-Mission Impossible Tom Cruise movie that has very unknown kid appeal. All right. I think you're wrong on that. I loved it. So on the confidence scale, one to 10, where do you put Top Gun? That it will be a solid commercial hit in terms of rate of return, eight. I'm going to go nine. I'm going to go nine. I, I got I to outdo you. I'm a little bullish <laughs> on this. All right. Jurassic World Dominion, June 10th. That is the third in the Jurassic World reboot of the Jurassic Park franchise. Original Jurassic World did $1.6 billion. Second Jurassic World did $1.3 billion. What does the third one do? Uh, assuming it does business as usual in China, it's one of the few films that I think could do business as usual in China coming out this year. I think it's the most likely film to cross a billion. Right. I agree with you. I think it's, it does get to a billion. Probably not much more than that. No. But that will be enough. And oh, yeah. They're pulling a little endgame magic on this one, as, as studios are doing these days, where they're bringing back the originals. They're calling this the end of the Jurassic trilogy or the saga or whatever, which is complete bullshit. Of course, they will do another Jurassic <laughs> World movie. But that's the marketing and I think people will see this as a conclusion of sorts to this franchise, um, which will help. And it's also, it's got that runway. You know, the usually June is so packed with competition, but other than Lightyear, it really doesn't have much. No, and there's no live action competition unless, you know, Elvis severely overperforms, but we'll talk about that later. It's, there's no major live action competition until Thor, Love, and Thunder a month later. 
Right. Um, the thing about the Jurassic franchise is that you know, regardless of which which franchises you like more or less, whatever, they remind me of the Transformers series in that everybody online claims to, oh, they're terrible. Why does Hollywood keep making these? Nobody likes them. But they still make a gajillion dollars because general audiences like them enough to say this is worth seeing in a theater. They don't obsess about them crazily online. They don't spend thousands and thousands of words doing fan theories and Easter eggs, this and what have you. But general audiences show up and their thumb generally tilts in the upward direction. It's better than Transformers. These are I agree. these movies actually I do have agree. Core, characters and stories. And the first Jurassic World I thought was pretty good. I the, agree. They also have the Steven Spielberg premature on it, although I guess Transformers does too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think they put a little more efforts. Plus, people freaking love dinosaurs. Yes. It has the core appeal of even if you don't give a crap about the brand of Jurassic and whatever the hell that means to you, it's still a big IMAX-friendly action-adventure movie about people being eaten by dinosaurs. Exactly. And now it's people in the real world. You're not in an island setting. It's like dinosaurs in the snow and living among us. And what I do think is interesting <laughs> about this franchise is that it's one of the only ones left that isn't of, of that scale, that isn't about a literal or metaphorical superhero. It's not about an actual superhero, and it's not about you know a metaphorical one-man killing machine and or invincible warrior like you know, Ethan Hunt or John Wick or Dominic Toretto <laughs> or what have you. Yeah. You know, these are just regular people that happen to be specialists in their scientific field that have to deal with a situation of dinosaurs run amok. Sure. Uh, although Chris Pratt has, you know, Indiana Jones-esque kind of capability. Yeah, I don't want to yes, I don't want to make right. that, that I don't want to make that comparison, but yes, he's supposed <laughs> to be that. If you talk to people at Universal, they always say, Well, our, we you know, we don't have superheroes, but our superheroes don't wear capes. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well. well, that's not really true. You have a dinosaur franchise, and kudos to them for milking it through six movies, but this is a dinosaur franchise. Yeah. Biggest of the summer, Jurassic? Uh, yes. I think okay. by default. Yeah, I agree. But again, I think even in a normal in a normal summer, maybe if Black Panther had actually opened the summer, it might be a contest. But without Black Panther, that moved to November. The only thing I think makes more worldwide, I mean, other than it was maybe Black Panther and maybe, you know, and probably Avatar 2. Who are we kidding? All right. So confidence scale. I, I, I'm. A, you're gonna say ten. Yeah, I'm gonna say nine again. That's I think fair. it'll it'll do it'll do less than the previous film, but it will still get to a billion. Um, all right, then we'll we'll move on to Lightyear, June seventeenth. This is the Toy Story prequel with not Tim Allen but Chris <laughs> Evans as Buzz Lightyear. I saw thirty minutes of this movie at the CinemaCon conference. Um, it's really good. It's surprisingly more emotional than you would think, at least in the first thirty minutes. Uh, it's not Toy Story at all. There is not, you know, there is a cute sidekick, but it's not a, you know, let's let's the gang goes on an adventure type movie. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays. What are you What are you thinking? Well, in a non COVID world, and before. Disney started treating Pixar as Disney plus cannon fodder. Um, you know, non super duper Pixar films that were still successful, we're doing around 550 to 750 worldwide. Monsters University, Wally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But Toy Story 4 did a billion. Oh, no. And that's that's the big question. Is this, is this going to play like a glorified Toy Story sequel? Well, on a curve, obviously, because I think a lot of people now know that if you wait for, four, you know, whatever, then it'll be on Disney Plus as soon as Bob Chapek can throw it on there. Yeah, but I, I mean, judging by my kid, 
he doesn't give a shit about any of that. He doesn't care that they changed the voice. He saw Buzz Lightyear and said, Buzz Lightyear, movie, let's go. I agree with you. And I think all of the various for and against variables combining gets you a film that plays like an upper-level Pixar film, which means around 650 worldwide in normal times, maybe 750 if it gets rave reviews. Um, I don't think it's going to be you know, a generational touchstone like Up or Inside Out, for that matter, but it is still an action-adventure sci-fi film from Walt Disney starring a marquee character that, let's be honest, because it's Pixar, it's probably going to be at least solid three-star entertainment. I'm a little more bullish, I guess. I think that this could play. It's it's got two weeks before the Minions movie to itself. So I I actually think it'll do okay. Internationally, I think the character is super strong. The, the, you know, Toy Story 4 did six something international, four something domestic. So, you know, I I think that, that just on character goodwill alone, that will carry it far unless it's bad but i think it'll i think it'll probably judging by what i saw it's pretty good one wild card here is how much do you think the same sex kiss in the movie will impact box office if at all in markets where it is open and playing i think it will cost the film approximately 646 (laughs) dollars so you don't think at all no I think it's one of those things that Twitter you know, talks about and obsesses about and controls the media narrative, but general audiences don't care one way or another. You know, I, I generally, I think I agree with you in the U.S. There will be some markets that will not carry this film, you know, some places in the Middle East and in some of the you know countries in Africa, and that could cost it, cost it a little bit. Obviously, it's not getting Russia or probably not China um, yeah. anyways. And if this becomes some sort of a political football, a you know Rorschach test on your politics, don't support the the you know the the gay agenda Disney movie. That if the Florida people start harping on it, I think maybe you see a little bit. Then it could cost it twelve hundred dollars. Maybe I, I I know I know. <laughs> Overall, it's not going to be a thing. But yeah. I will say, having seen the sequence, it is not a fleeting moment. It is there. Oh, you yeah. see it. It's an established character beat. Exactly. It is a character beat in the movie. And that's, you know, it's a great sequence. It's actually really emotional and, and amazing, but it is there. And I remember everybody kind of looked at each other in the movie theater like, oh, that's what people were talking about because that scene was cut from the movie. And then amid all the Florida drama, they put it back in to appease the people at Pixar. And it'll be interesting to see if then that becomes a political football that they have to deal with. Uh, confidence scale, light year. In terms of being a solid commercial hit that convinced, maybe God willing, convinces Bob Chapek to stop sending Pixar movies to Disney Plus, seven. Yeah, I think I'm going to go seven with you as well because of the risk. I mean, I, I'm I think it'll be fine, but it's not Toy Story, and I think the reviews will note that, and people will there will be some people who would have would have shown up for a Toy Story five that will not show up for this. Yes, so, and, again, and again, to me, that's what gets it to 600 and not a billion. Right. All things being equal. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, obviously the Tim Allen super fans are going to be super pissed off, and I look forward to seeing them all on Fox News talking about how it's be- he's being erased for his politics. Um, all right, let's move on. So now we're moving on to Elvis, June 24th. Uh, I'm starting to smell bomb on this one. Um, I just, you know, I I was questioning whether anyone under 50 would care about Elvis Presley in a movie. And then it turns out the reviews out of Cannes are kind of all over the place. It's this, you know, Baz Luhrmann with no restraint, 25 cuts per second. The 
IndieWire review, <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's deliriously awful biopic is, quote, Bohemian Rhapsody at 4,000 miles per hour. So what do you think on, uh, this is the big wild card of the summer. This could it is, absolutely, absolutely flop and do 50 million worldwide. It could be a ravenous hit and do 500 million worldwide. Yeah, and I think the happy middle ground that Warner Brothers is hoping for, again, I don't know the budget off the top of my head. I don't know if they've even given out a budget yet. Um, Rocket Man, which got much better reviews, to be fair. Um, that one did about 195 worldwide at a 40 budget. That was also an R-rated movie, yada, yada, yada. Um, what about Bohemian Rhapsody? Well, that one did $905 million. And exactly. That's absurd. That's what they want it to be, though. Well, I hope they're realistic enough to know that, you know, you hope for Bohemian, you budget for Rocket Man. Yeah, I mean, and also Elvis, Elvis is not queen. Elvis actually was never that famous outside of America. He didn't actually perform outside of America and Canada. So I, I don't, I think that is silly to think it could do that kind of music. The, the People went to Bohemian Rhapsody in part because they were curious about Freddie Mercury, but also because of the music. Yeah. And this doesn't have that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if you, you know, people who like you know, Queen music aren't always overlapping with people that like Elvis music, although there's plenty of overlap. Um, I do think the reviews talking about how deliriously, you know, what a spectacle it is. I don't know to what extent that hurts for people that want a big, giant, splashy musical spectacle. Um, I do think that's a big part of why Bohemian Rhapsody did as well. Is, and that was also another movie that did not get great reviews, it got mixed. Mixed positive, right. maybe mixed, but audiences showed up and they liked what they saw because it was. And a then it kind of turned on it. Like the, the, you know, the Academy nominated it. Well, yeah, even on opening weekend, I wrote about it on Monday morning is like, oh, this is the best picture nominee now because there's nothing else on the horizon that's going to do as well financially as this picture because, you know, Stars Born is already, had already opened. Right. Um, and, you know, Fox was surprised. They thought, you know, one of the reasons the 2019 Oscar season was so contentious online is that, you know, Fox thought they were going to be promoting Window or Widows. Universal thought they were going to be pushing First Man. And Aperna thought they were going to be pushing If Bill Street Could Talk, which were all three very Twitter-friendly pictures. But instead, for various reasons, commercial and otherwise, Fox ended up pushing Bohemian Rhapsody. And Aperna ended up pushing Vice, which I think is terrible, but whatever. And uh, uh, Universal ended up pushing Green Book. I think audiences that want to see a big and splashy Elvis picture are going to show up no matter how good or bad the reviews are. I just don't know who those people are. I really don't know who those people are. The people, I mean, at this point, the people who have an emotional connection to Elvis are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or dead. Yes. And, you know, it might be a downtown Abbey, uh, downtown Abbey situation. <laughs> uh, but Great Gatsby, the Baz Luhrmann movie from 2013, that movie did 350 worldwide. And obviously that is the best case scenario, but that obviously had Leo. All right, let's do confidence. Confidence scale five on Elvis. Five. Oh, I'm going three. Fair. I'm going three. I, I just, this is Warner Brothers' only summer movie. Yes, which is another, you know, they'll have nothing else to prioritize. Yeah, but unless you count their, they have this DC Super Pets movie in, later in the summer, but it's really their big, uh, all the DC stuff, was moved to the fall, and this is kind of their big bet. And I, I think this is going to be a disastrous summer for Warner Brothers. Uh, all right, let's move on. My, so my confidence is probably two or three. Let's let's go to July first. Minions: The Rise of Gru. Ten. Ten. Really? I you think this is well? I mean, it's an eighty million dollar movie. So even if it does, you know, Secret Life of Pets two slash Sing two numbers and does four fifty worldwide, they're still drowning in money. Yeah, I know. I and I just. I know this movie was held, um, you know, as were a couple of the movies this summer, but 
the original Minions movie, I know there's been other Despicable Me's, the original Minions movie in 2015 did 1.1. And I don't think that, I don't think this movie's oh, going to no. get there. But I would have, honestly, I might have said the same thing about Despicable Me in summer 20, 2017, which was the only billion dollar movie of that summer. So there is clearly an overseas interest in this franchise in this brand now do i think it's going to take a hit because it's been four years yeah i know that shocks me but i tell you i I mean i was looking at the numbers it did 823 million internationally in 2015 so you lose a third of that and what do you get you know what five something uh and then you lose a third of what despicable me did in north america which is 272 that's still you know close to i'm bad at math uh what's you know 180 190 uh so again, I don't think I don't necessarily think it's automatically a contender for a billion dollars, but it certainly doesn't have to because they're relatively cheap films as far as big animated films go. Yeah, and pure profit machines. All right. Yeah. We don't we don't I don't care about this movie. You don't care about this movie. Let's just go to confidence scale. In terms of it being a hit, dead. Absolutely. Will it be a mega super uber blockbuster? Mm, eight. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a little bit more tempered i'm gonna do eight just because there may be some minion fatigue i know there are there have been other you know we're at what movie five six now and they have tv shows they have other stuff so i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little bit more tempered but it'll still be huge all right thor love and thunder july 8th in terms of being a solid commercial hit nine or ten i mean who are we kidding it's a marvel movie People show up for Marvel movies, even if they don't show up for anything else. And it is a specifically a sequel to a well-liked franchise from the all the same people, director, writer, star, all that jazz, right. from Take the last care. film. So even people that don't care about Marvel in the abstract, they might show up for Thor Love and Thunder because they really like Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, they brought back Natalie Portman. And honestly, they got my interest with Christian Bale as yeah. the villain. Although I look at it now and it's like, you can barely even tell it's him, but would you have it any other way? Yeah. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> a little bit more because of that. I've heard from some sources at Marvel and in the Disney world that this one isn't quite as good as the last one and that Taika Waititi, the director went a little bit overboard on his personal flourishes, which has been an issue for Marvel lately with some of the movies, you know, with Eternals and Chloe Zhao and uh, with Doctor Strange 2 with Sam Raimi, where they're giving a little bit more freedom to these filmmakers to do their own thing. And we'll see if that works for this one. I think that at worst is a short-term problem, but long-term, that's what they need to be doing. Otherwise, people are going to get tired of these films if they all really don't feel anything like the directors that made them. Right, or if it just feels like an assembly line. Exactly. Like, okay, CGI monster. Yeah, then- there might have been a few adults that were scared of Doctor Strange or, oh no, Scarlet Witch being a villain is problematic. But right. these are the cho- distinct choices that these films have to make if they want to stay relevant over the next several years. Right, um, right, as right. For, for Thor 4, which obviously I have not seen, I'm sure it's not as good as Ragnarok. Ragnarok was one of the better MCU movies, period. Um, and it would not surprise me if they if they let him off the chain, so to speak. You know, there's a long history, for better or worse, of a distinct filmmaker coming in and making a part one or a first for them. That's sort of half studio, half them. It is very successful. Then the next one, they go, you know, all in, and that is comparatively more alienating to general audiences. You know, for example, Batman Forever followed up by Batman and Robin. Uh, quality notwithstanding. Batman followed by Batman Returns. 
I mean, the better one on the Batman franchise is probably the original Batman with Tim Burton. And then, and then Batman went, Returns. Yeah, that's the sort of the, the father of that weird issue, because the only way Burton would come back is if they let him go full Burton. Well, but then you could use the same argument on another Batman series where Nolan does Batman That's the exception begins, to the rule. And then Dark Knight is huge. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's the, that's the weird exception to the rule. With the caveat that Revenge of the Fallen was still a massive hit film. Revenge of the Fallen, meaning the Transformers. Meaning the Transformers, because the first oh. one was sort of Spielberg with Bay, but yeah. the second one and all the other sequels were full Bay for better or full worse. Full Bay, full Bay, creep shots of you know women walking down the stairs and you know Shia looking like a badass. Yeah, that's full Bay. It's explosions in slow motion. It's it's weird how as as disrespected, you know, as disliked as those films were in their day, were almost nostalgic for that kind of pure, unadulterated excess. So confidence scale for for Thor. Um, well, again, I think 800 is terrific for any Marvel movie. I don't think that the vast overperformance of Black Panther and Captain Marvel created a new curve where they all have to do a gajillion dollars. At the end of the day, Black Panther made 1.3 billion and Avengers Infinity War did 2 billion. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp still did 620. Yeah, I'm I am bearish on Thor Love and Thunder. I think it's not going to get anywhere near the eight. Uh, 850 that the last Thor did. I think it's it'll be lucky if it gets to six, may, probably Ooh. five. So I'm going to, I think there's going to be some Marvel fatigue and Thor fatigue and summer fatigue and just, you know, it'll, it has most of the summer to play for itself, but I don't, I don't think it gets there. All Fair right. Fair enough. Next one. Nope. The Jordan Peele movie, July 22nd. 12. 12? Really? You are you are bullish on this one. Well, in terms of it being a rate of return domestic smash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, his movies don't cost very much, although this one costs a little bit more. I mean, I think Us cost 25, and I'm told this would cost at least a little bit more. Yeah, but it's partially shot in IMAX. Here's the thing about Nope. I mean, aside from the whole, you know, Jordan Peele, he's a marquee director. He's a butts and seats filmmaker. You know, he's got the benefit of the doubt because his last two films were very good and very well liked. This is also the only one of the only films of the summer that's being sold as come see this because it is a good movie. Right. You know, not because you love this franchise or you love these characters or you're nostalgic for, you know, Elvis or, or, or uh, Pete Maverick. Come see Nope because it kicks ass. Yeah, it's the only original movie yeah. that we have talked about. I mean, I guess you could argue that Elvis is, but that's at least like yeah, a musical. Yeah, that's still a, you know, an IP in a skew Right, bag. this is an original movie. You know, the, the franchise is Jordan Peele. Yes. And, you know, that is, that is going to be an interesting test of that franchise to see whether he can deliver because in a certain way, it's execution dependent, which is yes. a, a term that the studios hate. Because it means risk. It's the one thing they can't control. Yeah, it mean, they can't control it, and it means risk. It means the movie's got to be good to perform. But if it's not good, then, you know, it's like, oh, well, why didn't this just go to Peacock? Why, does oh, it, why is this don't in Don't speak that evil into the world. Um, no, I mean, because it's going to have a huge opening weekend regardless. Um, the thing I feel about that is that I would argue that Us was a far less explicitly commercial and more challenging piece of, you know, of, of, High, you know, high concept studio horror. You know, it was almost not quite, but it was almost sort of like and Night Shyamalan following up uh, the uh, success with Unbreakable. But us still did exactly the same amount of money as uh, Get Out, almost identical domestic and, and worldwide. So, right. do I think there might be a slight downturn due to you know COVID curve? You know, it's not still being big of an event. Yada yada yada. Yeah, but I mean, th there's no world in which this film isn't a huge rate of return smash. 
And also, it's a domestic play here. The yes. Jordan Peele has had less success overseas. Although Us only did 175 domestic. I say only yes. because on exactly. a budget of 20-something million, that's gigantic. But, you know, these other movies you're talking about, they're doing two, three, four hundred million domestic. I mean, Us did about half that international. So, you know, if it can get to 250, if, if Nope can get to 250 all in, that's a huge, huge success. Because that's three in a row of making the, yeah, that's consistency. Holy shit. Yeah, it basically means that that Jordan Peele is the new Shyamalan yes. in, his, in his heyday. Absolutely. Although he's never had, I mean, Sixth Sense was such a breakout. He, is, he has not had that, but he's also won an Oscar, whereas Shyamalan never his did. His films are cheaper, and they play in a world where people don't show up to signs to the tune of $400 million, let alone the Sixth Sense to the tune of $695 million. Right. It's just, that's not the world we live in anymore, unfortunately. Uh, all right, so give me your number. Uh, I mean, 10. 10? Who are we kidding? I think it's going to be a huge hit. Do I think it's going to be like bigger than any of these others? No. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say seven. Seven, maybe eight on this one. It'll probably be good. His track record is good. He's got a brand. But if this one is too weird or if there's something about it that people don't like, I think that they, they, they could have a problem with it. All right, let's move on. Last one, last movie, Bullet Train. Brad Pitt on a train. I saw a big chunk of this one at CinemaCon as well, and uh, it looked pretty good. Looked like a fun, you know, uh, sassy action guy on a train killer with an attitude movie. So uh, how does this play? Do you, who do, what does this movie do? Does it do action movie numbers? Does it do comedy numbers? What does it do? I think it has a very good chance of doing domestically uh, or with the lost city, which is about to cross hundred million domestic. And there is an upside overseas because it is an action adventure picture starring Brad Pitt. You know, I, I don't want to discount Sandra Bullock's overseas draw because, you know, at the end of the day, even oceans 11, almost, excuse me, oceans, uh, 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 how many o oceans eight almost did 300 million worldwide on a 70 budget. Well, that's interesting that it would do that because obviously Brad Pitt did the Lost City cameo kind of as a favor to her. And now she returns the favor in Bullet Train. And I, I don't know. I mean, Lost City seemed to me like that was sold as a rom-com. That was a yes. Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum vehicle. You got to see his butt for five seconds. This is not that. This is a more hard-boiled kind of, you know, little bit of violence. There's a harder edge to this movie. It's more male skewing. I, I, I think that it's a little bit of a different audience there. Yes. But in terms of being just a movie in the eyes of most moviegoers, I think this film and The Lost City were basically the last best hopes we as consumers have of convincing Hollywood that we still want regular movies in theaters. And that's a long and complicated conversation, but I'm very happy that The Lost City has done as well as it's done. And yes, this is more of a conventional action-adventure picture, but it's also got an R rating that'll limit it a little bit. It's, you know, but, but it's opening on August 5th after being tossed around the release date, which means it's the last major summer movie by default, which means, you know, Sixth Sense, Guardians of the Galaxy, Suicide Squad, Hobbs and Shaw, The Fugitive. There is a long history of big summer genre pictures having much longer legs than they otherwise would have had because they're the last big movie of the season. Confidence scale on Bullet Train? Uh, seven. I'm optimistic, but I'm, you know, the world has burned me many times over the last seven years. You know what? I'm going to go a little bit more bullish on that. I think that the eight, possibly 8.59, because with at that budget, 
with all of August to itself and Brad Pitt, I think that this movie could do three, 300 million worldwide. That would be wonderful. I dare not hope. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about other lesser movies in August, something called Secret Headquarters, which I've never heard of. The Warner Brothers animated DC Pets movie, which could be big, but I doubt it. All right, we will see how everything does. Scott Mendelson, appreciate you coming on the pod. We may have you back at the end of the summer to see how we did in our confidence predictions. I don't want to face the consequences of my actions. Listen, we are an accountable <laughs> podcast. What we say matters, and we will be held accountable for our statements. <laughs> Jokes aside, it was a pleasure being here, and I'd love to, I'd love to come back. All right, thanks. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Uh, Producer Craig, have you been following the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial religiously? Pretty much these days. Yeah, it's all over your TikTok, I'm sure. It is. Do you have a prediction? Because I have mine. Well, the internet would tell me that Amber Heard is going to lose significantly, <laughs> which is why I'm going to say that she is probably going to win. So the testimony is wrapping up. The closing arguments are set for tomorrow. We may have a verdict as early as next week, depending on how long this jury... Uh, decides to take if i was on this jury i would issue a verdict in 20 seconds and say get me the hell out of here you've wasted two months of my time i want i want it back uh, i predicted about six weeks ago on this show that johnny depp would lose his case and i i still believe that i want to revise my prediction slightly after hearing all the evidence now remember in a defamation case you have to show that not only what the person said was false but that it was about you and that it caused you damages, meaning that, you know, that's what all this stuff has been about in the trial, showing that what Amber Heard wrote in that Washington Post op-ed actually caused Johnny Depp to lose jobs, lose money because of the negativity around him. And I actually think my prediction now is that the jury will find that she defamed him, but I believe that they will find that what she said did not actually cause the damages, meaning it wasn't just her and the words in this op-ed that led to him losing jobs. There are all sorts of things that have come up in this case from, you know, the impact of the UK case to the restraining order to, you know, the noise around some of his spending and the substance abuse problems, all the other things that have come up that show that it wasn't just what Amber Heard said that caused him to lose all these jobs. So I think that that's ultimately going to thing. And then her counterclaim, I think, will get thrown out. I just don't think that, you know, they're, they're going to find that what this lawyer said about her is going to be defamatory. So you're saying both sides will get zero dollars? Zero dollars. And the jury coming out of the courtroom will say, you wasted my time. No further comments at this time. Yikes. Just a huge, huge, for all of the media obsession with this case and all the you know, social media stuff. I just think that ultimately this is going to be a, a big, big zero, big nothing. And a TV show in two years. And, and a TV show and probably, they'll probably wait two or three years for this, yeah. Uh, and maybe, you know, who knows if they ever work again? I think they will. I think, I mean, obviously a reality show would sell in a heartbeat for either of them. But I think in terms of getting major movie roles, they're probably not going to work in studio movies for a long time. But never say never. Someone will hire, especially if, you know, they can rehab themselves in the public. They, some studio at some point will hire them. Depp will be in a movie for sure. Oh, no, they'll be in movies. <laughs> no, they'll I'm saying Depp will be in a big movie in like five You'll years. be in a studio movie, you think? I do. Yeah. Hmm. 
Mel Gibson's in movies. I know, but Mel Gibson's not typically in studio movies. He has came back. He has done a couple where he's you know popped up in comedic roles. He's not a movie star like he was. Johnny Depp will never be. He's not going to be in Pirate Six in, as Jack Sparrow. Nah, but I, I could see him in some, not like a bullet train, but something like that, you know, where he's just like, oh, wow, Johnny Depp's in a movie. Maybe. Yeah, maybe down the line. I, I agree with you that, that you can rehab yourself. Maybe in Pirates 9, he comes back as a sidekick as Jack Sparrow, <laughs> who's been living in a cave for 20 years and helps Margot Robbie defeat some, you know, nasty creature. <laughs> Margo, he'll make a cameo in the Disney Plus Pirates of the Caribbean series. Exactly, exactly. Uh, listen, the, if the price is right, he's got expensive tastes, as we know now. All right, that is the show. I want to thank Scott Mendelson of Forbes.com. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you on Tuesday next week because of the holiday. Have a great holiday weekend. 